Hello, and welcome to Faith So Simple, the podcast that explores the Christian faith, transforming the difficult, complex, and downright nerdy into simple, straightforward terms that any average Joe can follow. I'm your host, Joe Staines, and if you're like me, an average Joe, then I invite you to come along as we dive into scripture, history, theology, and many other disciplines to discover the truth of God's Word. All right, welcome to Faith So Simple. This is a podcast that I've been thinking about doing for a little over a year now, and I'm very, very excited that you've tuned in. Um, my wife encouraged me to do this uh, for the longest time, and I've, I finally started to do it. So this is the very first episode, and I'm so, so glad that you're here. So the way that I want to do this, that I want to set up the podcast, is it'll be in, in three distinct sections. And the first section is going to be based on some kind of word, probably an academic word, or maybe a, a philosophical or a biblical idea. And we'll explore what that means. The second section, I'm going to take a look at scripture. And I really want this to be a scripture-based podcast, so we're always going to take a look at something and, and just take that deeper look and see what it is that we can kind of pull out from uh, the word itself. And we're going to use uh, that first section to try to explore and apply what we've learned from that first section into that e- exploration of the scripture. And then in the final section, uh, it's going to be uh, focused on apologetics. So how do we take what we've already learned in the first two and then apply that in everyday conversation? What are we going to do? Uh, how are we going to respond either when people ask us certain things or how do we defend our faith, but in a way that's natural and normal and fits into everyday conversation? So without any further hesitations, let's get into it. Okay, this is the part of the show called Nerd Words, and I like to call it Nerd Words because uh, I'm a nerd, and uh, I will typically use words that are either I've come across academically or in my studies, or it might be a theological idea or something, but it's not a common everyday word, and I'll throw it out there, and my wife will look at me and uh, just look at me confused and wonder what in the world I'm talking about. So I thought, you know, a lot of times when we, once I explain it and we, and we talk about it a bit, uh, we realize that it's, it's things that we have actually either come across or thought about. We just didn't know it had a name before. It had uh, uh, some study behind it. So uh, I'm going to bring my wife on the show. And what I'm going to do is throw one of those words out there. And uh, I'm going to let her try to define it. And, um, and then we'll see if she gets it right or not. And then we'll talk about it a little bit and move on from there. So I have my wife, Nikki. Say hello, Nikki. Hello. So anyway, are you ready? I am ready. All right. So the first word for the very first episode that we have is exegesis. Oh, exegesis. Exegesis. Nice. Uh, My initial reaction is I just would like to be sick everywhere. (laughs) 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 Um, Exegesis. Exo Jesus. After Jesus? Huh? Nice. No? <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> Exegesis. Exegesis. It's not Exo Jesus. I'll help oh. you out there. It's... Exo. Uh, or exegetical. Oh, that's worse. Yeah. I don't like that one. Exegetical. Um, something about genealogy? Genes? These are all good Denim? guesses. You're wrong, <laughs> Denim. <laughs> oh, it's Denim. Hey, you got hey. it. It's jeans. Uh, no, so exegesis is actually taking a look at the specific original words or, or deriving meaning from the words itself. Merriam-Webster defines it as an exposition, explanation, or critical interpretation of a text. As that one kind of implies, it can be applied to any written text, so it doesn't have to be just for 
uh, a biblical text. It can be for any text uh, that you're looking at. I still don't understand what that means. That's okay. We'll get to it. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, what you're doing is looking for what the meaning of the authors meant by the words that they're using. So the words from that language. So if we're talking about the New Testament, Mm -hmm. uh, where the New Testament was originally written in... Greek. <laughs> I put me on the spot. I panicked straight away. Ah. So, so the New Testament was written in Greek and the Old Testament written in Hebrew. Uh, so what it would be doing is taking a look at those words in that language. So we would take a look at what the Greek word for, uh, say, logos would be or um, for the word for love. There are different right. uh, words. Yeah. So that's what it is. It's taking a look at, at, at what those words were, what the meanings were. Originally. Originally. Right, and then trying to learn what the authors meant by looking at that original language, and what the original language meant. Mm. So that's, that's all it is, really, at, at its core. But exegesis. Uh, that's why I got the uh, the book, the exegetical text. Blah yeah, blah blah. Yeah, which I would never pick up in that. a million years. <laughs> I would look at that and put it down straight away. Yeah. So that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a good way, some tools to be able to, to use for this is, which I know you do. Um, there are a couple of apps, right? There's, oh, what's the one that you use? The, the Blue, uh, Letter, the Blue Bible. Letter Bible app. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, so there's the Blue Letter Bible app. There's Concordance. You can use a concordance. But um, how would I use it in a sentence? Which? Exegesis. Oh, I thought you meant concordance. Just, just. <laughs> Exegesis? Exegesis. Jesus. Uh, how is it spelled? Uh, e X O G, not J. No, E X E G. Yeah, yeah. E-S-I-S, exegesis. So it's not Jesus. No, no. Okay. Yeah, exegesis. It does sound like that, doesn't it? (laughs) Exegesis. So So how would I use it in a sentence? If I'm going to sound intelligent and clever, how can I throw that into a conversation? Yes, well done. You've put me on the spot. Good. (laughs) Um, I would say... uh, Oh, I was looking at the scripture and the exegetical... I I was reading the scripture... And uh, performed. Uh, it's going to be like terrible. An operation. Well, performed an exegesis of the text. Oh, yeah. Like an autopsy. You're looking into the. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Like an autopsy of the text. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I've got a better definition. Oh, wonderful! Take that, Miriam Webster. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So that's what it is. Exegesis. Nice. Thanks uh, for that. There is a, a another word that's associated with it called eisegesis. And that's E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S, I think, eisegesis. But that's, so where in exegesis, you're deriving meaning from the text. In eisegesis, you're putting your own thoughts into the text. And so that usually has a negative connotation. Okay. Um, and we have to be careful that we don't, uh, that's true whenever we're doing reading scripture and interpreting mm. um, what we think we're seeing and reading is that we don't put our preconceived ideas or what our expectations are onto the text Mm -hmm. that's eisegesis so really like when you told me the word at the beginning and i said it means exogesis right right yeah 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 so you yes i put my own thought on it that's not what it means but i could go and tell someone else hey this is what this word means but i've just kind of interpreted because you expected it to be a certain something else and so you make it what you expect it to be that's eisegesis yeah so i could be like jesus came out of the tomb it was exogesis I would not do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, so that's it. Good, thanks, thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks, my love. Thank you. All right, we just got done 
talking about our first nerd word, exegesis, and now we're going to take a deeper look of looking at some scripture in the Bible and trying to apply what we've just learned and also just to to better understand the scripture. Because I understand that reading the Bible can sometimes feel really dry and it can feel as if it doesn't offer many answers to our modern questions. It can feel disconnected as if there's no connection with modern life. Uh, It can feel distanced that way. Some of that is natural. It was written about 2,000 years ago, a little less. So there were different languages, there was different culture, there was different societies, uh, and, and yes, we have that distance in time. So why bother with even talking about exegesis and all of this stuff? Remember, exegesis is simply looking at what is being said in the original language with the original meanings of the words. That helps us to put it into context, to understand what the author meant, to understand what the author was trying to say to, to their audience, and then also that helps us understand how it might apply to us today, because it gives us that that deeper meaning. It gives us that deeper look into the scripture and, to, and to how it uh, relates, uh, not just to the people at the time, but also it relates to us now. So we're going to do that by taking a look at the book of John and the first 18 verses within that book. Uh, but before we do that, who was John? Now, remember, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, this this John is not John the Baptist, That was a different John, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, But this is John the Apostle, one of the disciples of Jesus who lived and ate and slept and laughed with him. So who is he? Who is this guy? Well, we know he was a fisherman. A fisherman is, uh, that would be like picking up an electrician or something, just a, a, a common guy. This isn't a guy who had gone through a lot of training and education and everything else to know scripture deeply or to know the academics of the time. He was a fisherman. He was just a man who worked with his hands. Uh, Secondly, he was one of the original three or one of the famous three, Peter, James, and John, which were some of the first apostles and some of the closest apostles that were called to follow Jesus. He was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he was also a direct eyewitness to ministry and miracles that Jesus performed. So a very close friend of Jesus. In fact, he was so close that when Jesus was on the cross with some of his last words, some of his last breath, he looked at John and he looked at his mother Mary and he said, this will now be your mother. Take her into your home. And we know from the account of of the Gospel of John that that's what he did for the rest of Mary's life. Uh, Now, there are two time frames that the book of John is believed to have been written. One is 50 to 70 AD, one is 85 to 95 AD. Wherever you fall on that is not really that important. Those are just two ideas out there. I happen to believe 85 to 95 is a bit more accurate, Uh, but that's the the time frame we're looking at. But let's consider what was going on at the time. Uh, This is during Rome, right? So so the Roman Empire is kind of coming to a real flourish at this point. And uh, it was during this time that Christianity uh, arose, and it started to spread throughout the Roman Empire in this first century. But it was widely met uh, by a range of reactions, spanning from indifference to skepticism to extreme persecution, uh, and of course, some uh, also accepted and, and chose to believe. Jews considered Christianity to be heresy, and its followers to have abandoned the Jewish faith and the Jewish way of life. Obviously, Christianity sprung out of the Jewish faith, but most of the Jews of the day thought that it was this wild new uh, uh, cult, probably, or or, or heretical uh, spinoff. 
The Romans and the Greeks and other Gentiles, Gentiles is simply just another word for anyone who's not Jewish, they largely viewed Christians as just yet another Jewish sect. They were nearly indistinguishable, and they would lump them together into one big basket. So Jews and Christians to the Romans and the Greeks were basically the same people. This wasn't helpful for Christians because the Jews and the Romans had a very rocky and violent history. There was a lot of bloodshed between the two. And despite the bloodshed, or, or in, in addition to the bloodshed, the Romans also uh, viewed anyone who didn't follow Roman rule, didn't worship Roman gods, didn't adhere to, to Roman beliefs and, and ways of life as being haters of mankind. And so the, the Christians and the Jews would have been viewed as, uh, sometimes they actually got the label of atheist because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. Uh, and you find that uh, later on is some of the persecution that comes out around the time that John would have written this book, that some folks uh, were actually persecuted as atheists despite the fact that they were actually Christian. And just to give you some examples of the types of persecutions that they were dealing with, it's not like today where we say something we were worried of offending someone or uh, we're embarrassed by something or we're asked not to pray out loud somewhere or, or something like that. We're talking about being dressed up in furs and killed by dogs, uh, crucifixions, being put on poles and set on fire to be a lamppost at night on the streets just to light up the night sky. That's the kind of persecution we're talking about. And that's the kind of persecution that John's audience would have been dealing with. So that's the world in which they lived. And that's the world in which the gospel sprang from. And uh, amazingly enough, not only did it spring from this time frame, it flourished. Uh, as the persecution came, the gospel actually spread. Uh, but that's another another study for another time. So let's, let's get into the book. So the book itself, uh, the book of John, the gospel of John is how we usually refer to it. Uh, in the actual Greek is kata Ioannin which literally means according to John. So there, we've done our first bit of exegesis. Kata Ioannin, which literally means according to John. The word gospel was added later. So one of the things that we can infer from this is that John is trying to show uh, his audience that this is his account, he, an eyewitness account of what he witnessed and what he saw as he explains what happens in his book with Jesus. So let's go ahead and read the first 18 verses, and then we'll come back and we'll do a little bit more of word study before we close it out. So this is, uh, again, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 
John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So let's take a look at the first verse here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, the the word for word, the Greek word for that, is logos, which roughly means the reasoning or the motive of something, which also has the connotation of something spoken that includes the thought behind it. Now, there are two main things I think that we want to consider here uh, when we look at this. One is the audience, and the other would have been the traditional Judaic theology. Remember, yes, John is a Christian, but he he was a Jew. He sprang from that Jewish tradition. Uh, so he has some, some of that uh, meaning behind it as well. So we'll look at that, as Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. So the audience, let's start there. John's gospel is thought to have been written in the town of Ephesus. This was a wealthy capital of the province of Asia, and the location is on the western coast of modern-day Turkey. It was also, Ephesus is also the home to the founder of science. That man's name is Heraclitus, and he lived about 600 years prior to this. And he used the word logos to mean the purpose behind what took place or the reason why. And he would, he would use this, this idea, this concept of logos to, to study, to look into things and study the reason for things. And we actually use this still today. It's used in our sciences. Logos appears in all, all of our words that mean the study of something. So biology, geology, psychology, and so on. That logi part comes from the root of logos. And it's also where we get the idea for the word of, of logic. And this, this concept would have been understood, especially if his main audience is, is coming from Ephesus, they would have connected with this idea of logos being a word uh, that had meaning behind it, and not just any meaning, but the explanation and the reason for something. Furthermore, remember that logos, the word logos also has that uh, connotation of, of the thought behind it, uh, of a spoken word, right? And in Genesis, we know that God spoke creation into existence. God said, let there be light. So again, the audience would have connected not only that reason behind, but it being a spoken word. And so Jesus is not only the reason behind everything, that also connects him now with everything having been created. So it's through him that everything has been made. Now, if we take another look here and we look at the the opening verse of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then John 1, in the beginning, was the word. The Hebrew word for beginning is reshith, and for Greek is arche. Now, both have a very similar meaning, and that meaning is a, a principal beginning or an ultimate starting point. Of course, Jesus was before the starting point, but at the ultimate starting point that we understand history, creation, Jesus is there. John immediately establishes Jesus as both the reason and the purpose behind everything that we know. And the other thing that it does is it establishes the full divinity of Jesus. 
there was some uncertainty at the time as to the, the nature of Jesus. Was he a man? Was he an inspired prophet? Was he a spiritual God who took the form of a man? And John is telling his, his readers, his audience, right at the very outset of his book, that yes, Jesus was fully divine. He was fully God. And then he goes on in verses 2 through 5. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John is not pulling any punches. He wants his reader to instantly know that not only is his account focused on Jesus, but that the entirety of all that we know from Old Testament scripture to the world that we see around us, to the existence of our own lives and how we experience life, it's all a result of Jesus. Now, verse 4 mentions, in him was life. And that word life uh, in Greek is zoe. And that applies to both literal and figurative life. So think both physical and spiritual. It could be either one, right? And it also has the connotation uh, of including all life that we know. So plant and animal, anything that's alive basically can all be kind of encompassed in this word zoe. And then the Greek word, as we continue this exegesis, the Greek word for light is phos, which means a source of light or radiant light. And it can also have a a meaning of morality behind it as well. So here we have this, in him was life, which is everything that we know. And the life that was in Jesus was the light of men. So both the source of light of what we have as life and also the source of morality and goodness as we understand it. And the word darkness, which comes next, the light shines in the darkness. That Greek for darkness is skotia, which literally means darkness or figuratively, it could be spiritual darkness or moral obscurity. This word skotia in the Greek has a similar meaning to the word, to the Hebrew word for darkness, which is choshek which is also used to describe darkness in the creation verses as well, which is just kind of an interesting connection again with Genesis. So again, John is saying that neither physical darkness nor spiritual adversity or spiritual darkness can overcome the life source that stems from Jesus, not even the horrific persecutions that had been experienced up to the writing of this account. Now that had to be some encouraging words. I mean, if you're out there and you, you, you've either seen it with your own eyes or you've heard about the ways in which Christians and, and believers have been have been killed, to know that those deaths were not in vain, that those deaths are not the end of what was being taught, of what is known for the truth to have been revealed. Uh, that's got to be some encouraging words. Now, I'm not going to go into as much uh, detail over the next few verses. Basically, uh, John, the author, is setting the record straight. There was some confusion about whether John, the author, was John the Baptist, and some thought that John the Baptist may have been, in fact, the Messiah instead of Jesus. And John is basically just saying, no, uh, I'm, not, I'm neither John the Baptist, and nor is John the Baptist anything beyond being a prophet who pointed to the coming and arrival of Jesus, who was the Christ, who was the Messiah. So looking down in verse 11, John explains how the Messiah came as promised in the Old Testament to his people. And his people are the Jews, but the Jews rejected him. And that this paved the way for anyone who accepted him to be spiritually reborn and accepted by God as children, even Gentiles. Remember, Gentiles are anyone who's not Jewish. 
could now be accepted as a child of God. This is mind-blowing. This is mind-blowing then, and it's still mind-blowing today. The fact that you have a God who cares so much, not only did he choose people to reveal himself to, to the rest of the world, but said, my grace is even more than that. I don't just want this select people. I want everyone to know who I am. Uh, and, And that's what John is saying. That has now been opened up. So then John goes on, having established the full godhood of Jesus. But then to to finish the debate, he makes sure that we understand that Jesus was also fully a man. And he does this by stating that the word, the logos, became flesh. And John uses that Greek logos again. Remember, that's the reason behind everything. The word for flesh is sarx, which literally means a human body. So this word, this spoken word that is the word of everything. Everything draws its meaning and existence from the Logos, from Jesus. Became a human body. It's pretty clear cut. And the word for became is ginomahi, which means to come into being or to be born. So he was physically born. He came into being in this world as a human body. So by claiming the humanity of Jesus... John's pushing back against those teachings that claim Jesus may have only been spirit or was part human or part human, part angel or whatever mixture you can think of. And it also serves to express not only that God fulfills promises, as he did in providing the Messiah or Savior, but that he is also a knowable God because he came to us as we are. He knew us in our form and experienced life the way that we experience it. There's no other religion and there's no other belief uh, in any gods throughout all of history, that has that claim. I hope you're still with me. I know that's a lot to take in, uh, and I, but I hope that you enjoyed performing some of that word study, and I hope you can see how that kind of peels back some layers and helps us to understand things a little bit more, more deeply. I hope this helps you understand why we, we talk about Jesus as well as being the reason for everything, really, and that the elements of who he is and who he was to be when he finally came as a human can be found in the Old Testament, and we'll, we'll explore that in future episodes. And it's really the focus of the entirety of Scripture. All of Scripture is focused around God's desire to have relation with us, whether you're Jew or Gentile, and how he would do that and how he did accomplish that by becoming one of us, taking the punishment for us, and rising again. And that's available no matter who you are, no matter where you are in life. That's available to you today. Before we close out this week's episode, I just wanted to take a brief moment to quickly consider how we can move beyond study and share our faith and worldview with the people we deal with day to day, whether that's in the office, on the street or the grocery store, or even in our homes with friends and family. Of course, having personal studies and prayer time is extremely important, as is interacting with other Christians, but we're also called to share our faith with other people. We're not told to hold it in, we're asked to share it with those around us. But what's the best way to do that? When talking about faith, I like to use the scripture from 1 Peter 3.15 kind of as a guideline, as as a rule that helps me to frame how I want to speak or or how I want to um, engage with people or or answer their questions. So 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
And when I'm interacting with people, I like to break this verse down into three distinct sections. The first section is, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. When we do that, when we hold uh, Christ in our hearts and we revere him and, and we are walking with him daily, we're praying uh, and, and we're seeking the Holy Spirit for guidance, we're given the grace and the peace and the understanding that's necessary, as well as the perseverance to be able to interact with the people around us and to do it in a way that honors God and honors Christ. The second part of the verse, uh, as we break it into three parts, would be to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks, uh, to give them the reason for the hope that is in you. Now, that, that preparation, that comes in the study, that comes in the prayer, it even comes in the, in the fellowship that we have with other Christians, uh, but that helps to prepare us for, for anyone, and that anyone could be those, uh, is really geared toward those who are non-believers, who are, who are curious, or who reject Christianity, because what we want to remember we do it with gentleness and respect. So regardless of, of who we're talking to, regardless of how they're receiving it, and regardless of what their intentions are, they're a human being. They're a human being that's made in the image of Christ, in the image of God. And so we want to treat them with the gentleness and respect that image bearer affords. We want to be treated with gentleness and respect as well. In doing that, it helps us to remember that we're not just answering a question, but we're answering a person. Because we can always answer the question and win that, but if we do so at the cost of the person, then we've lost. Because there's always a reason. We don't always know the reason right away why they've asked. So one of the questions that comes up frequently is if you believe the Bible is reliable. Okay, is it trustworthy? And this could be answered many different ways. But I'd like to approach the question from the angle of the book of John, the gospel of John, as, as you remember back, as being the account of John, the kata Ioannin. Consider the court of law. In the court of law, if you don't have modern forensics, you don't have uh, cell phones or video or pictures or computer data, those kind of things, right? Those scientific evidence, what's left? Some of the strongest evidence that can be presented is an eyewitness account. An eyewitness account is from someone who is there, who has seen it, who can be trusted to present it as accurately as they can. Well, now, if we think about the Gospels, the account of John, John was an eyewitness. He was one of the 12 apostles. So he was there. He lived, he breathed, he ate, he slept, he laughed, he cried with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He watched him die on the cross, and then he grieved that death, and then he watched him rise again three days later and ascend into heaven. If you go back to the law of Moses, which is in the Old Testament, and you look at Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 15 through 21. I'm not going to read through it right now. But if you look through that, it gives the rules for what is expected when it comes to witnesses. And basically what it says is that a single witness is not enough. Now, it's talking about convicting someone of a crime or murder, but a charge must be made by two and even better, three witnesses if possible. But a single witness is not sufficient. Well, what's the crime here? The crime is the death of an innocent man, and that innocent man was Jesus Christ. However, we do have multiple accounts, which would have uh, helped to uh, uphold what would have been expected in Jewish culture. But another eyewitness account that we have is from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, we know, was also one of the apostles. So now we have two eyewitness accounts in, that's found in the New Testament telling us who Jesus was and what he did. On top of that, think again of the court of law. Many times, 
people will bring in a professional witness, and that's usually a scientist or a historian. We have that with Mark and Luke. Mark uh, was probably not one of the apostles. However, he would have been alive during the time of Jesus' teachings. He was certainly around for the growth of the church, and he was a, a close affiliate with Paul, with Barnabas, and with Peter. Uh, and it is mostly thought that the majority of what he wrote for the gospel is derived directly from Peter, who we do know was also one of the apostles. So now we have Matthew and John, who are both apostles. We have Mark, who's written down uh, from the account of Peter. And also we have Luke. Now Luke says straight up in the beginning that he wasn't, uh, an, uh, he wasn't there. He wasn't an eyewitness. However, he writes both the book of Luke and Acts as you would expect a historian to write. So there we have several accounts that can be trusted and could be considered trustworthy enough for the court of law. Now take one more second to think back, how would you spread the truth of a message, the truth of events, if you didn't have things like Facebook and podcasts and modern news and emails and websites? You would rely upon reliable testimony, word of mouth, and written word, written testimony from those who knew and could attest to the truth. You've been listening to Faith So Simple. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you were blessed by today's discussion and learned something new that you can share with someone else. All music was written, performed, and recorded by me, your host, Joe Staines. If you have any questions about today's content or any other episode, please reach out to me at faithsosimple at gmail.com and I'll do my best to get back to you or I might even include your question in a future episode. And if you have a moment, why not help me out by leaving a review, following the show, sharing it with a friend, or all of the above? Once again, thank you for listening. This is your host, Joe Staines, signing off. God bless and we'll see you next time.